all of human history is divided into two sections. B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after Christ. Before Jesus and after Jesus. Speak Jesus. Just Jesus. The day we're celebrating, Easter, is the most significant event in human history because it has to do with Jesus. Just Jesus. Not everyone agrees. In fact, in the first century, there was a man named Saul, a highly educated religious man who tried to stamp out Jesus and every memory of Jesus. Then he met Jesus personally. He thought Jesus was dead, but he was wrong. He was wrong. Paul, Saul, later named Paul, went on to preach and to teach just Jesus, preaching to everyone who would listen that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, then he rose from the dead. Enormous claims, which he documented by firsthand experience. The Apostle Paul went on to write most of what we know today as the New Testament. And one book he wrote was 1 Corinthians, written to a people who had a lot of questions about the resurrection, about life after death, all kinds of questions about many things, but mainly about Jesus' death and Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' bodily, physical appearances. And what difference did it make to the people of his day and to the people of present day here in Wisconsin? Today, just Jesus, just Jesus. I want us to look at a passage of scripture. There's a lot of, lot of teaching in this passage. We can't look at all of it today, but we're going to take some of the highlights as they refer to and they apply to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, if you want to find it in the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 933, or it'll also be on the projection as we read 1 Corinthians 15 in sections, starting with verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I want to start this morning by talking about the importance of the crucifixion. The crucifixion. It says Christ died for our sins. Now it's not popular today to talk about anyone's death. We see accounts on a daily basis about the death of someone. We like to avoid talking about death, thinking about death. And it was no different in the first century. 
and especially scandalous, was to talk about the death of crucifixion. John Stott says this. He says, Crucifixion seems to have been invented by barbarians on the edge of the known world, taken over from them by both Greeks and Romans. It is probably the most cruel method of execution ever practiced, for it deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted. The victim could suffer for days before dying. And the Romans adopted crucifixion for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion, or armed robbery, provided, provided they were also slaves, foreigners, or other non-persons. And the Jews regarded crucifixion with horror. They made, and they made no distinction, distinction between the cross and the tree, between hanging and crucifixion. In fact, in Deuteronomy 21.33, it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Hanging, crucifixion, whatever that was. Because of this distaste and revulsion of crucifixion, many in the first century could not imagine worshiping a dead man who had suffered such a humiliating and painful death, even though his followers claimed he, Jesus, had since been resurrected. People were repulsed by this news then, as many are repulsed by it today. How can the death of someone be called the gospel? Paul refers to this news as the gospel, which means good news. Good news. Paul calls this death good news of first importance. First importance. Highest importance. Christ died for our sins. Why? Why was it necessary? And why would Jesus do such a thing? And what makes this so important that God planned this in advance says it was according to scriptures. It was prophesied. This is what's going to happen. And Christ still came to endure it. What does Jesus' death mean to us? What does it accomplish? Why is it so important? And why can we call this good news? Why is it good news? First, Letter A, Jesus died for us. It's personal. It's personal. Jesus' death was not just some abstract demonstration of love. It was not just an example for all mankind to emulate. Jesus' death was not an accidental, unintentional event. Jesus' death was intentional, and it was purposeful, and it was for us. It was for you, for you. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus said, The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, us, us. He chose to do that. It's personal. It's for our sake. It wasn't for him. It was for us. It was for us. Secondly, Jesus died to bring us to God. It's reconciliation. It's reconciliation. 
In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The righteous, that's Jesus. The unrighteous, that was us. And his purpose was to bring us to God. Now, what, what is that all about? Well, let's say you have a serious disagreement or a fight with someone. Or someone did something really bad to you. Betrayed you or wronged you in some way. All of us in this room have experienced the alienation that comes in human relationships. It all happens to all of us. We experience it, first of all, probably in family. In childhood with brothers or sisters. And if our parents are on top of it, they teach their children how to resolve those conflicts. You have to remove the cause. You have to do something about it. We cannot resolve conflicts by just pretending it didn't happen. We just can't go on and act like it didn't happen. We have to resolve those. We have to deal with the differences in the offense. My parents taught us how to say, I'm sorry. And they want to make sure we are sincere when we said, I'm sorry. If you weren't sincere, they'd say, I didn't, he, I didn't see any sincerity in that. And sometimes they would take out a discipline of some sort to make sure that we were sorrowful when we said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And the, the response was, yes, I forgive you. There was a removal of the offense. Remove the cause of conflict, the break in relationship. Deal with the issue, the wrong action, and the offense. And Jesus, by coming and dying, dealt with the issue. What was the offense? The offense was our sins against God. And the purpose of Jesus' death is to reconcile us to God, to restore that relationship. His whole life, in fact, from Genesis through Revelation, the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to bring us back into relationship with God. God is a seeking God who's always seeking to restore that broken relationship. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God's purpose, the purpose of Jesus' death, was to restore us to relationship with God, to remove the problem, remove the cause of the conflict. So Jesus' actions brought us new life, a new start, eternal life, peace with God, no more conflict with God, open relationship, reconciliation. Jesus died to bring us to God. Thirdly, Jesus died to pay for our sins. It's payment. It's payment. When we do something wrong, we need to pay for it. Okay? We steal something, we need to pay it back. You gossip and destroy your reputation, you need to make things right. You wreck someone's car, you better replace it or find some financial remuneration. Our legal system has payment built into it, lawsuits for monetary damages. If there's manslaughter or murder, we, we go to prison to pay with it or pay with our life. Burglary, drug dealing, there's payment. Speeding, we pay the fine. We do the crime and we do the time. God set up a payment system as well. In the Old Testament, 
In the Old Testament, it was a sacrificial system of an animal on the altar, sacrificing an animal, the shedding of the blood of that animal on the altar. Now, the good news is what Jesus did, recorded in the New Testament, talks about Jesus in Hebrews 9.12. It says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. We did the crime. Jesus did the time. Jesus paid. Hebrews 13, 11 to 12 says, The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Jesus died to pay for our sin. It's payment. Just Jesus. Fourthly, Jesus died in our place. It's substitution. Substitution. Jesus' death and our sins are linked together. We deserve to die. We did the wrong deeds. We committed the sins. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death was not part of God's original plan for the human race. It wasn't part of his original plan. Death is an alien intrusion into God's good world. It includes physical death, but it also includes spiritual death. Separation from God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were living in this incredible environment. And God, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the free of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. You will surely die. This is the introduction of death. Not only was it the beginning of physical death, aging and physical death, but it was separation from God, alienation from God. Both types of death are seen in the Bible as divine judgment on human disobedience or sin. And in 1 Peter 1, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, bought back, from the empty way of life handed down to you from the forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus died in our place. Substitution. That's all good news. Incredible good news. He died for us. It's personal. Jesus died to bring us to God. It's reconciliation. Jesus died to pay for our sins. It's payment. Jesus died in our place. It's substitution. Just Jesus. Now let's look at the second part of the good news, the resurrection. That's the importance of the crucifixion. The good news is the importance of the resurrection. And for that, I want to read verses 12 to 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Some were saying there's no resurrection. It's a myth. Never happened. But verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's the importance of the resurrection? First of all, the resurrection shows, first of all, that Jesus was and is God. Jesus was and is God. In Romans 1, it says, Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why was it important to have a resurrection? The resurrection established the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God incarnate. He claimed to be God himself. He claimed to be one with God. Without the establishment of Jesus as God, he couldn't pay for our sins. He couldn't pay for his sins. Maybe he could have paid for the sins of one other person, but not the sins for all the world, for all time. Why is it important that he's God? Because God is infinite. Therefore, his sacrifice has infinite power and infinite reach. So his sacrifice, his death, paid for the sins of all of history, all the way down to where we are today. That's why it's important that the established fact that Jesus was and is God. Secondly, it shows what Jesus said is true. Says what he has said is true. Matthew twelve fourteen, Jesus said said these crazy things. People just didn't quite understand it. He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, by the way, Jesus believed in Jonah and the whale, or the fish. Just you know. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He, it's like he predicted this. This is what happened. Jesus said it would happen. And then Matthew 16, 21. Jesus said from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It was, it was nonsense to the, his followers. They said, what, what is he talking about? It just didn't make sense. Their idea of a Messiah was a, was a totally different concept. But he said, I'm going to be crucified, but I'll raise again on the third day. Jesus predicted his own death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's pretty hard to do. Pretty hard to do. Incidentally, it's, the burial is very important because it showed that he really did die. Lots of things we could go into. We don't have time this morning. Even in this day and age of legalized suicide, it's very difficult to predict accurately the time and place of our death, let alone the claim of being raised on the third day. Who would do that? Who could do that? Jesus said it would happen. Now, some of the critics have said the gospel writers that wrote the passages here attributed these words after the fact to try to prove their point that that. that Jesus hadn't said that, or it was going to happen. 
If that's the case, why did the religious leaders want a Roman guard at Jesus' tomb? Who guards a dead man? Nobody guards a dead man. And the leader said, and this is before his crucifixion, or before, before he was rising again. The leader said, Jesus said he would rise again. These are the religious leaders that were anti-Jesus. And in Matthew 27, it says, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. They remember, Jesus had said he's going to rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. They're saying this to Pilate, saying, got to guard the tomb or this, this is going to get out of control. So Pilate answered, take a guard, gave him a Roman guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. See, what Jesus said is true. Thirdly, the resurrection so shows that God was satisfied. God was satisfied. Shows that God accepted Jesus' death as payment enough. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justify means to declare not guilty. Not guilty. And we were justified when he was resurrected from the dead. Those of you that wrestle with guilt, I don't know if anybody here ever wrestles with guilt. Nah, probably not. Guilt. The resurrection proves that Jesus paid for your sin. He paid for your shortcomings. He paid for all of that. And sometimes we walk through our entire life with some kind of guilt of some sort. And we don't really believe that, that anybody can forgive us, especially God. His resurrection proves that his sacrifice was effective for all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. We don't have guilt left. We might have guilt feelings. Get rid of the guilt feelings. Believe that, that we are forgiven. It shows that we are justified. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But the resurrection shows that you are not in your sins. You're forgiven. Fourthly, the resurrection provides a new quality of life. New quality of life. Romans 6, 3 to 4 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Several weeks ago, we had a baptism ceremony. We had a baptismal up here, and we watched people go down into the water, signifying death and burial, and then raised to new life. That's a symbolic act showing the reality of what happened when they gave their life to Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, being buried with him into baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New start. New life. A new person. We are powerless in and of ourselves to change our lives or circumstances. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, through being born again, his resurrection power reverses our downward spiral and brings us brand new life. Power because of the resurrection. Fifth, the resurrection gives hope. Gives hope. How many today need hope? The whole world seems to be falling apart. We need hope. And if we hope only in this life, 
What is there when we die? The classic pop song. If this is all there is, then just keep dancing. Keep dancing. There is pleasure for now. Empty of hope. If we hope in a dead man, what hope is there? The resurrection gives us hope. It also guarantees everyone will be resurrected someday. This is one of the things. When people say, we don't know if the dead can be raised. Well, we know they have been. We have hope. Verses 20 through 23 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death comes through man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Now there's a word, firstfruits. We don't use that much. You might use that in agriculture. I'm not sure, actually. First fruits is used in the Bible about being first fruits to the temple, etc. But we do have prequels and sequels. Prequels and sequels. Okay. Jesus was raised from the dead. That was the event. The sequel is a resurrection for us. Okay. Jesus was resurrected. That's the event. The sequel is our resurrection. First fruits were part of the harvest given to God. The first fruit was offering that that guaranteed the rest was going to follow. So if, he, if we're the first fruits, that means that we are coming after Jesus and his resurrection. And we have a guarantee of that resurrection. We'll live forever. We'll live forever. question is where? Where will I spend the forever? And the final importance of the resurrection How important is it for me to believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? How important is it for me? Because, you know, maybe maybe some are kind of, well, I'm not sure. Belief in the resurrection, letter G, belief in the resurrection is essential for salvation. It's essential. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Believe in your heart. I'll never forget having a conversation with someone who was in one of our previous congregations. And this person had been to church for years. They had been there. They had done a lot of things, attended church. They knew all the facts about Christianity. And one day this gentleman heard somebody speak about this passage in Romans 10 you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he came to a realization that he didn't really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, by God's definition, he was not saved. He was not born again. It is impossible for God to save us from our sins unless we believe in this last part of the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you, do you really believe that? So what does the future hold for us? What is it going to be like when we're resurrected? There's a final section of this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Verse 51 and on. It says, listen, I tell you a mystery. This is the final win. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It's a lot of stuff there. We're not going to talk about the details. We don't have time. What it means is there's a day that we will, like Jesus, receive a new body and we will have life forevermore in God's presence. In the end, we win. Death for the believer is not an end. It's only a, a beginning. It's a transition point, a change point. Why is that? Because Jesus defeated death. That's why death is swallowed up in victory. I've been asked before, are there any guarantees? We like, we like guarantees. We like sure things. Is there a guarantee of eternal life? Can, can we know for sure that we have that resurrection life in our future? Yes, we can. First John 5, 11 to 13 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life. Past tense. And this life is in his son. Just Jesus. He who has the son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the son of God, Jesus, does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life life. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Place your trust in Jesus. As humans, we are separated from God. Jesus came to live and died for my sins to restore that relationship. And to believe in Jesus means to acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want to place my trust in Jesus and accept his sacrifice as a free gift. It means making Jesus the leader in charge of my life. And if we do that, we too can be guaranteed eternal life. Can we bow our heads for just a minute? I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord, um, just pray this silently as I pray it aloud. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or put anybody on the spot. I just want us to keep our heads bowed. And you pray this prayer if you've never prayed this before. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you are resurrected and live today. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, very first time, 
I just want to share a couple things with you. At the bottom of the program on the inside is a website, What's Next? There's some materials there that can help you walk that life. But I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. We have a Connect card in every program. And on the one side, on the upper right-hand corner, is a little box. It's a little blue box. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just put an X in that box? Now, you can put as much information as you're comfortable. You want to put your name. You don't have to put your name. You can, put your, you can do whatever you want with that. But if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just put an X in that box? And as you leave, we have prayer requests and all kinds of things with this card. Put it in the offering box on the way out. And if you want to know more, you can look at the website or you can call any one of us. You know, we have our office phone number. We have our emails of our staff on the program. And if you made that decision today, feel free to just call and say, Pastor Mark, Pastor Josh, um, I made that decision. And just allow us to say thank you to you and to just see how you're doing. So if you did that, if you do that, that would just be awesome. We covered a lot of stuff today about the crucifixion and resurrection. The reason we give you notes is so you can go back and look at those passages of Scripture. And if we went too fast or you're not sure about something, you can go back and look at it. But today is an incredible day of celebration because of the crucifixion first and because of the resurrection. Let's pray. Thank you for this incredible day of life. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, today that there may be those that had the courage to pray that prayer for the first time and, and all of us just renewing our understanding of what the resurrection is all about. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to celebrate that new life that you gave us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand, shall we?